Hello and welcome to Two Two Guys by Keelan and Adam. It's a podcast it, you, about what? ballet by two ballet dancers. Okay, podcast about ballet by two ballet dancers. <laughs> Fuck. Or you know, this, this is the sting, I can tell already. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Two Two Guys, a podcast about ballet hosted by two ballet dancers. I'm Adam. My name is Keelan. Thank you for being here today. How's it going, Adam? How you doing? Yeah, pretty good, man. How's it going? Are you trying to sound cool right now? <laughs> I'm not trying to sound cool. I, um, I'm just looking through my notes. All right. So, yeah, this is a scary one for me today, actually, because school... Sorry, this this podcast is about school. This is the school episode we have. What can we riff a little bit too? Like just kind of like I don't know how your day is. You know, we haven't sure. talked about that fine, yet. Fine, fine, okay. fine. Oh shit, yeah. Okay, sure. Add that to your notes. <laughs> Talk about day. <laughs> Be natural. <laughs> how's your how's your British accent coming along? Pretty good, eh? Pretty good. I was just about to say the same thing for a Canadian accent pretty good eh <laughs> but not in that order that's good that's good mm. where's me dad where's me dad why uh, do you even talk like that kappa him hello ma'am can i have a kappa that's pretty good. To be honest, the only way I know how to talk like a Canadian is because of Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. That's actually, that is. Because he has really good O's, order, or, order, and he really squeaks the mouth like this. I don't know if it's any good. A. There's an A at the end of every sentence. A little bit First of punctuation. Off. The A thing is like a misnomer. We don't, I'm sure people do it, but it's not nearly as prolific as people say it is. Uh Um, And it's funny, the Jordan Peterson thing, because first off, I'm like, that's actually a pretty good Canadian accent you've got. And then you say it's Jordan Peterson. And I go, that's actually a really good Jordan Peterson too. (laughs) That's like, now I I see it. You're really nailing it. Thank you. You don't even sound Canadian, no? Do you have a Canadian accent? (laughs) No. I mean, the thing is, there isn't really a Canadian accent. We don't really have an accent. The extremes of Canadians, we have that. But, like, just the average person is like an average American person, too, which just sounds like somebody talking. I mean, y'all have accents. (laughs) Let's be clear. All of y'all have an accent. Every British person has some form of a British accent. But I think there's something about Canadians and Americans baseline that just sounds like person talking. Okay, I don't agree with that. <laughs> you don't agree with that? No. Do you, you think hear. that you don't have an accent? Yeah. And you think I have an accent, but you don't? You don't have a strong one, but definitely I feel like I have less of an accent than you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, actually, your voice is pretty, like, neutral. You're Average, not like, right? You're not like mega mega accented yeah agreed but we probably blended together a little bit 
from these talks. Maybe. Maybe. No, I don't. I don't think I'm becoming like more British because I talk to you. Oh, I might be more Canadian then because I'm talking to you. Maybe. I mean, I say, if you say sorry more, then you're becoming Canadian. That's a very yeah. Canadian thing. Is to apologize like, all the time. Uh, it's British too, though. Sorry, we invaded your country. Sorry, we colonized the whole world. Sorry. <laughs> Are you serious that you don't say a? That was like the whole Canadian accent was order and A. Sorry, the sun never sets on the British Empire, eh? <laughs> um, uh, I don't really say A. I don't think, I think the average Canadian doesn't say A. Do you but end it a sentence could be, by saying no? I've ended a sentence with the word no before. Like South Africans. I think it's South, South Africa. Oh, I'm from South Africa. Do you um, want to go to the park, no? Instead of no, don't you? Instead of that, they say no, no, no question mark. Do you want to do this? No. Right. Right. I'm just thinking about like District Nine. I think they're in South Africa then. Um, Not a great film. Great film. District Nine's really good. Is it? Isn't it the one? Prawns. Yeah, the prawns. He slowly becomes an alien. Yeah. Uh, it's all a metaphor for apartheid in South Africa, actually. I think. Oh, is it? And they keep the they keep the prawns like separate in their own communities, and they're like really really mean to them. Okay, I think I've only seen it once, so it's not drilled into my head. You know that the director of District 9 was supposed to make a Halo movie, and mm -hmm. he was pretty far into production on that. Peter Jackson was producing, mm -hmm. and then something happened. It fell apart. It got canceled, and then he made District 9 instead. And if you think about it, like District 9 is probably a better debut film than a Halo movie would turn out to be, because we haven't really had very many good video game movies. Ooh, yeah, that would have been really rough. A Halo movie. I didn't even watch the World of Warcraft movie, and I am a big World of Warcraft fan. I had like a level 70 warrior when I was like 12. That's a big deal. Wow. Yeah. Oof. I didn't think you could get any cooler. Thank you. Um, All right, I guess we should start this. <laughs> what are we talking about in this episode? The idea for this episode is to look at the things that came up while we were in school that were difficult and maybe made us consider quitting and the reasons why we stuck it out. It's a heavy topic. <laughs> yeah. One. But I figure anything that we've gone through, other people have gone through as well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these things are going to be pretty universal. And so people might be able to relate to the struggle and the decision-making. Be, nice mm -hmm. be nice to put out some positivity into the world, right? I mean, if we can call it positive. There's different ways to be positive, right? And so one is just to say nice things, be nice. Mm -hmm. There's also the positivity where we go into something painful and we find our way out, right? So we, we look at the scary thing or the intense thing and we find our way through it into the light. Is this really what the readers want to hear about? Maybe they just care more about an introduction to, and like a second introduction to what was actually like at school. Briefly go over, oh, I was in pain at this point in my life and I didn't quit. And that's, that's enough information, like a bite-sized chunk to just be like, oh, okay. I'm in that situation. I'm in pain. 
he managed to do it. Maybe I can do it too without having to spend 20 minutes on one part. What I'm hearing, what you just said is, you know, well, I felt pain, but I didn't quit. So keep your chin up, kids. So if this episode is times we felt like maybe we wanted to quit and then either why we didn't quit or how we managed to pull through. I don't feel like I can really take in somebody's advice fully until I feel like they understand what I'm going through, right? Something about feeling fully understood and seen by somebody else then opens me up to being able to move in a direction that's positive. You know, like if I tell you like, hey, this, this sad thing just happened and you go, hey, you know, you're going to be fine. You'll get over it. That's not really helping me at all. But if I say, hey, this sad, this thing happened to me and then you take it in and then you say, oh, I've been through that. And then I get that you understand me. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we're on the same page. And so now I can, now I'm willing to listen to you. Or if you say, I've never been through that, but I'm going to sit here and take it in. And I'm going to see what that would feel like for me. Now I feel like you care, right? What do you think? I have a sort of mixed opinions on this because if I have like a, a huge problem and I start talking to somebody about it, and even if they have been through something similar, when they tell me that they've been through it, I feel like it, it takes away from the the problem. A little bit kind of devalues the problem sometimes. Uh, but it, it's very mixed because of course I'd rather I'd rather they have some sort of background relating to it because then they understand a bit. But would you say it takes away from the specialness of your problem if somebody else also has been through it? because <laughs> uh, at least if you're going through something really intense and you don't know what to do when you're in pain at least you're special because you're going through something intense but if somebody else has been through it that takes away the one thing you have <laughs> stop it <laughs> yeah, i'll take that as a, <laughs> as a maybe <laughs> okay so do you think you could just talk for a bit about some hard pain point that you had during school that maybe some of the listeners could relate to? The first one that stands out kind of chronologically is when I was in fourth grade and fifth grade specifically, I went to a public school in downtown Toronto and I told them all confidently when I joined the school, I said, yeah, I'm, I go to ballet school. The ballet school was like right up the street. So I, you know, I say, I go to the national ballet school. I'm a ballet dancer. I really like it. And I had no reason at that point to think that that would be a bad move. I got teased subsequently a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a memory that from a while ago, so maybe my memory is, imperfect right but it the experience at the time was what it was and i felt how i felt like one friend at the time named nicola and we would hang out all the time it's just me and him and people would tease us all the time be like oh you guys are gay oh you guys so we we're talking about gay because like it was such an insult at the time but of course there's nothing wrong with it 
like it doesn't matter you know but at the time yeah it was the the insult had a lot of weight to it Mm -hmm. and i got teased a lot and i think it was exacerbated when in fifth grade and we were all introducing ourselves it was like you know new teacher kind of new group of kids in the class and we had to stand up and say something about who we were i i stood up and said i'm keelan i'm a ballet dancer and i don't like being called gay or can i say the f word because that's what i said i mean it's i guess you have to right so in fifth grade the first day and we all went around the the room and introduced ourselves and i think i was at the end and i stood up and very confidently and naively innocently said hi i'm keelan uh, i'm a ballet dancer and i don't like being called gay or faggot and then i was <laughs> uh really invited it on myself at that point mm. uh, which i don't regret i actually respect the hell out of that kid uh, you okay <sighs> oh yeah how bad was the bullying? It was it was more relentless than it was bad. Mm-hmm. I was a really sensitive kid. And so being sensitive, it, it doesn't really matter how extreme it is because it all it all hurts, you know? You don't have to be yeah. beaten up for it to mm-hmm. feel like you're being beaten up, you know? I think I haven't that that memory of that moment is has been there, but I haven't told that story maybe ever i haven't like i haven't repeated that phrase i said on the first day in fifth grade mm-hmm. uh maybe ever mm-hmm. and just kind of remembering that and then feeling that i guess i would have been um first day so i would have been i think nine and you probably had a great summer and in a relaxed uh, safe environment with your family well, I had a summer where I did the summer program for the National Ballet School and I didn't get into the full-time program. And so I'm thinking after fourth grade, I'm going to be in the ballet school. I'm not going to be coming back here. Surprise, mm-hmm. I didn't get in. So I'm back at this public school. Um, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to set the record straight and tell people like, I don't like to be called these names. Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And and asking people, or not even asking, it's more just a statement. It was actually really impressive communication of my boundaries which were totally disregarded by the children i went to school with but or at least some of them who chose to to target me yeah children are brutal aren't they <laughs> yeah kids can be rough mm-hmm. you know you know sympathy for also for those kids who whatever they were going through they thought that teasing some kid was the way out for them like you know they were also going through stuff right Hold do you think they knew that it was that hard for you Probably not. No, they're probably their kids. They're probably concerned with what they were going through. Maybe they were even affected by the confidence I had in saying, this is how I feel. Please don't call me these names. Mm-hmm. Um, so bullying is obviously a big one for boys and dance. Somehow seemingly it still is a thing or more than 20 years past when I had that experience and it's still an issue. I'm hoping it's less of an issue now. I'm hoping bullying is less prolific, but it's still around it might just be human nature though but like but why like are we still teasing kids for being feminine or for being gay like is that still a thing have we not evolved past that yet as a as a society i don't know i just meant 
like the general concept of bullying and yeah. teasing for oh, anything yeah. will always be a part of human nature i think it's, it's yeah. also a way to get close to people i mean of course uh, there's a fine line between teasing and bullying like what you you can tease someone by like insulting them but if you care about the how they feel then it's teasing but if you don't really care how they feel then it can turn into bullying it's a nice distinction there yeah because I, I i tease people for sure <laughs> i mean my closest friends were teasing all the time i tease you <laughs> yeah um, but i care how you feel for me the distinction is if there's a foundation of love underneath it then it can be an expression of affection right one of my favorite things is when I go on Instagram and my friends have just made fun of me brutally in the comments of my posts. I love it. It makes me laugh so much. <laughs> like be as mean as you can and make me laugh. But if it's yeah. a stranger or if it's some kid who's bigger than me and his group of friends all doing it and they're not, we're not friends, like they're just making fun of me and, uh -huh. and trying to make me feel excluded. That's, mm -hmm. that's different. So the way I got through that you know, if you go, okay, so how did I, how did I soldier on, right? Like, okay, did I ever question my desire to keep dancing? No, there was never a doubt. Wow. How did I handle it? I mean, I'd have to ask my mother kind of what were the kind of conversations we were having at the time, but there were a few things that, that were really important for me. So one thing was, is what they're saying true in the sense of, you know, I, I don't think I even knew if I was gay or straight at that point. It, too young for that to really be the, the question but it was more is there something wrong with ballet for a man for a boy right mm -hmm. and my response to that was and still is go look at go on youtube and watch carlos acosta doing dynanaction tell me that that isn't the most masculine thing you've ever seen <laughs> right and and so my male teacher at ballet school roberto campanella who is a great guy uh like he's masculine, right? And mm -hmm. also not that even being masculine is important. Like we're at the point now where we can agree that your expression of your own, of who you are, doesn't have to fit into a box. But for me at the time, it was important to know that ballet could still be masculine. And so we looked at examples and you look at the soloists and the, the male dancers at the company and you go, that guy's super jacked. That guy jumps like over a car. That guy's got a six pack. Like this is manly. Men lifting women, this is manly. This is, this is okay. And so that was important for me. And those bullies didn't care. Like they didn't care that I was like, but look at this guy, he's, he's buff. Like they didn't care. But, but for me, that was something. And I mean, that, that was a tough year, but the next year I went to the ballet school full time and it was no longer really an issue because I didn't see those kids anymore. And these were kids in your year group or the year? Yeah. I mean, word might've gotten around and then I might've been teased by other people. Because in school too, like you're in your homeroom and so you don't really, the kids could be different ages making fun of me and I wouldn't really know. And that's super hard. I don't think it ever made me think maybe I should stop dancing hmm. because I, I just needed to keep dancing. Like it was, it was in me. It was like Billy Elliot, right? Like when I dance, I could feel all electric. Like I just felt like I had to keep going. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I didn't have that fire underneath everything. Um, at least to start now, now it's like uh, the fire is a lot more there than it was when I started. It was like a, a slow, a slow burn to get into it, you know, more of a, 
slow roasting your chicken rather than frying it you know right um so i remember going to ballet classes after school for the i think it was six months before i went to elmhurst actually for six months before i went to the audition for elmhurst uh, i can remember wearing cycling shorts i think i didn't even wear a jock strap underneath them so no. cycling shorts uh boxes or briefs yeah. um and I didn't wear jogging bottoms for whatever reason. I think because uh, pants for the Americans. Um, I didn't wear them because it was hot or something like that. So after school, I went home. I changed into these cycling shorts is what we called them. But they were like what I was wearing for ballet, my ballet attire. Um, so I went with, I think it was trainers, cycling shorts, briefs underneath the cycling shorts and then a white t-shirt i think these were blue blue kind of tight spandexy shorts and i walked through the park that was where everyone played football outside the primary school that i went to right because because thinking this is a good idea because i'm wearing cycling shorts but <laughs> the kids aren't stupid they know that i don't cycle <laughs> they know that but i was like hey mom aren't these a uh, a little bit tight these spandex cycling shorts and she was like no no no, they're cycling shorts they look good cycling's cool don't worry about it so I remember walking myself with my two pounds or whatever it cost to do the ballet class at the time or five pounds whatever um with these little blue skimpy cycling shorts and then ballet shoes in a little pump bag do you know what they're called this looks like a very strappy hmm. like a little backpack with the drawstring uh, yeah exactly a little yeah. drawstring backpack that's yeah. where the ballet shoes were so <laughs> it was very clear that i was going <laughs> going to do some some dancing you know um so yeah lots of people said do you do ballet and then i was just like no <laughs> just like lying straight up deny 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 right okay so a little addendum on my bullying story okay so yeah. I go to the National Ballet School for three years. You have to be reaccepted every year. Going into ninth grade, I don't get back in. So I go to Victoria, BC, where my mother was living at the time, and uh, I go to a new high school there. I learned from my mistake in fifth grade. And so I just mm -hmm. don't tell anybody that I'm a ballet dancer. Mm -hmm. And people start to get hear rumors, though, of I heard Keelan's dancing, and they'd ask me, like, are you dancing? Are you dancing? And I'd be like, no, 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 no. And then finally, once I had like a really solid set of friends, and we were really mm -hmm. tight, and I told them, hey, you know how every day you ask me to hang out and I say, no, no, I have a doctor's appointment. I'm yeah. actually doing ballet class. Because my friends were worried that I was really sick because they'd ask my mom, like, is Keelan okay? He's always going to these doctor's appointments. Is he okay? So finally I told them. And they were like, if you had just told us up front, we would have still liked you. And I was like, no, you wouldn't. You guys make fun of everybody <laughs> all the time. <laughs> if I told you that first thing, you would have just made fun of me yeah. for it. Yeah. And just for the record, now as a, as a grown-up, when I tell other grown-ups what I do, they think it's the coolest thing. Like everybody is yeah. really, really, really psyched about it. Super enthused. It's just as kids, there's a stigma. Mm -hmm. Hopefully not for long. Hopefully not as much. Mm -hmm. yep. um, but okay. Do you want to, do you want to tell us at least one of the challenges you faced and the reason why you didn't end up succumbing to that challenge? Okay, sure. Um, I'll go into a little bit of detail about, when I started ballet and why I started ballet, because I know I didn't explain it so much. 
I was born in Walthamstow in East London, in quite a rough part of London. Uh, there was gang violence, stuff like this. I have one younger sister. She's four years younger than me. Um, and I started ballet when I was age 11, I think six months before I went to the Elmhurst audition. So when I went there, I was really pretty bad, as we talked about in the other episode. Fresh to the art form. Yes. My mum was pretty obsessed with getting me into a good school in general. And she also really wanted me to be a ballet dancer, but I wasn't super into it before 11 years old. And I was trying really hard to get into grammar schools or private schools and failing to get scholarships. So then eventually when I got accepted to Elmhurst, it was like I had already gone through a lot of pain and fails and embarrassment. And then when I finally got into the school, I was like super happy that I was in the school, but feeling like I didn't belong there, sort of imposter syndrome sort of ideas. Um, so I got homesick pretty quickly, like immediately. I can remember many nights I was crying on the phone uh, to my mum, uh, not so much to my dad because he wasn't so keen on me going to the ballet school in the first place. So he would have just said, just come back then. Like, if you don't like it, come back. Mm. Uh, my, my dad was never really so, I think maybe the culture, cause he's from North Africa in Algeria and the culture there is not, I don't know. It's not so popular for men to be ballet dancers. So that was really kind of hard to not have the support from him. Uh, but I, I managed to find it to deal with a homesickness by having a really good friend called Jules, who I could talk to about all of this stuff. And then the calling home was very useful to have such a supportive mum. Uh, and then the staff and the house parents that were at the school at the time also helped me through it. Is there anything else I need to say? <laughs> And those are some facts. I quite like the facts there. They're very... What did it feel like? I just felt sad and lonely for, for a while, but that was also mixed with the constant pressure and then the excitement and exhilaration of being in such a amazing school with such different people around me. And everything was so new and there was so much learning that I felt like constantly maxed out uh, on bandwidth. Like, yeah. I couldn't, I didn't have uh, brain space to think about anything else other than what was being told to me at that time. Not very mindful. So you had the excitement of being in a new school surrounded by everything is new, the new people, including the art form itself is new because you had just started dancing a few months before yeah. you went. You've got the separation from your family for the first time at 12 years old, which is very young. You've got a lack of support from one of your parents, which you can feel. And in some way, as a child, you're trying to process that. You've got an imposter syndrome from being new, joining mid-year, which is brutal, to be honest. For me, that would be brutal. Mm -hmm. 
and you're managing to pull through with the support you have from your mother over the phone, which is rough because that also would have been a phone attached to a wall probably. Yeah, it was. So yeah. the, the other kids could see me struggling as they because it was the main staircase. There was a phone at the top of the staircase. So to get into your room, you would have to go up the staircase along the corridor and then you would hear a kid <laughs> crying in the phone box many nights. And it's the new kid. So, you know, isn't great and is mid-year. That's, that's all of this stuff you're wearing it on your sleeve, you know, like it's, it's open. Mm -hmm. You can't really hide that. And then when you do try and hide it, like I was, I was used to hiding stuff at that point after uh, the realization that kids can work it out pretty quickly. If you're a ballet dancer, if you walk through a football field with skimpy spandex blue shorts on, I realized like, ah, maybe, maybe mom's not always right in that. And so I was kind of lying. Hmm. <laughs> it's not very nice to say that, but yeah, I was just so insecure that I would lie about things to make things easier. I don't do that so much anymore, but at the time when I was 12, it was the best defense mechanism I had. Lying is a coping mechanism for so many. I certainly did it. And I think that I'm guessing that 99% of people listening right now, if they really look at it, would see, oh yeah, I've used dishonesty as a way to just get by, just survive, just make it through the day. It would even be to the point where if another kid asked me, like, what do you, uh, I don't know, is anything related to finances and families and like where I would go for holidays and stuff like this, um, I would try to make it sound better than it was every time for many years. And if there was some reason that we didn't go to even abroad, like a lot of time we wouldn't go abroad. Um, we would go to like Algeria maybe every other year, but Yeah, so we didn't have so much money. We were, we were not like starving or anything. We were, we were okay. Um, but as soon as my, because oh, this is another thing, um, my family like broke up when I was 10 years old. So as I went to, this is another thing on top of that pressure. As I went to the ballet school, knew all of this, um, my family was split. So my dad moved into a house on the other side of the road, which I know sounds really strange, but he wanted to be close to my sister was the logic there. Um, so my mum and dad were now not living together and I would hear stories about what was happening at home while I was crying because I was homesick and right. lying to my other, not, not friends, <laughs> and I'll call them friends because everyone seems to be a friend when you're young, you don't know the difference between um, a, I don't know, colleague or whatever they're called, um, and friend, uh, lying to people to make out things were better than they were, but knowing that things were really bad. And so even the home life wasn't even like, oh, well, if I went home, it'd be better. Well, no, actually it's painful there too. Yeah. 
no, nah, it was it was not good at, at some points at home. Uh, yeah, because uh, my dad's Muslim and my mum, yeah, my mum's like, I don't know, agnostic or something. Uh, and it's like really bad to break up with your wife in Muslim culture. So it was like a huge shock to that whole side of the family. And then we couldn't do our usual summer sort of tradition, which is go to Algeria with my mom. Uh, now it's, we go to Algeria, but it's just uh, me, my sister and my dad, which was like completely different as well. Uh, not bad, it was, it was nice, it was just different. And there was just a lot of new things happening. So how did you, how did you get through it? Like, was it just a time heals all wounds type thing? Like it just, eventually it just felt different. It got, it ended or, or was there a method? I just kept thinking, how bad was the last school that I went to? And and thinking of like the imagery of the bins being chained to the fence to stop people from using the bins as weapons during fights. This sort of imagery would, and the police that were outside the, the school because there could be fights and kids could have knives. Uh, this is kids, the kids, this is like yeah, yeah, children. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, up until I think 16. Okay maybe 18 i'm not sure if this the school had a sixth form um but yeah it was from 11 to i think 16 and yeah lots of those kids were probably in gangs and probably hated each other and that's why police were necessary so, this is why your mother wanted to get you out of there yeah fair enough like, go to ballet school just do this Uh, I mean, I still have friends from that school though that went through that went through the school, and like they were fine. Uh, it's not like every kid has to get into a fight and every kid has to be in a gang. You can, of yeah. course, like get around it. But the threat um, of it is enough to make it feel like it's real all the time. You know, knowing yeah. it could happen, this is almost as bad. And also, I was pretty easily influenced. I say was. I probably still am. Uh, easily influenced so my mom was kind of scared that I would be easily influenced into a gang uh, I know it sounds really silly <laughs> hearing yeah. hearing me now um, Mr. I'm definitely not the uh, <laughs> gang Ms. type <laughs> Mr. Chess over here yeah <laughs> um, but yeah at the time my mom was like oh fuck we need to get you into a better school and yeah we tried we tried we tried I I did lots of studying and I I didn't make it into the schools with full scholarship it was always like with a bursary or yeah i need to pay completely and then yeah we couldn't afford it uh so yeah there are lots of things going on that made everything difficult and the way i got through it was probably just knowing that i didn't have a better option <laughs> it was like a huge amount of pressure but then no way out which I know sounds like a huge recipe for disaster. You know, I could have just been like, okay, this is too much. I can't do it anymore. And that would be the end. Uh, but somehow the support from my mom and then 
my really good friend and then some of the stuff was enough to get me through to the next year and then through to the next year and the next year the next year yeah. and just barely just barely through next year next year next year and then if you just focus your attention on your technique where you have full control um as opposed to you know the yeah. relationship of your mum and dad that fell apart or uh, how the other kids treat you i mean to some extent you do have some control over that but not much so the only area that you do have a lot of control is how you go about your work so i was just like all right well i'll focus on my technique and then i got into the next year then i was like oh okay nice <laughs> i do it again and then i just got older and then i kept i kept going and each year i would also think like maybe maybe now's the time to to quit because the pressure so it was like a, a very delicate balance of like should i quit should i not but the better i got the more i really got like attached and enjoyed it in on a deeper level not just because it was the better option like i'd rather be a ballet dancer than be in a gang when i started enjoying stuff then i would be like proud to say it and i like of course probably when i was 16 17 i still didn't go out proclaiming that I was a ballet dancer but by the time I got into the Royal Ballet School I was kind of proud of myself <laughs> I oh, was yeah, like son. you know what <laughs> you know what it's not that bad <laughs> yeah this might be the best school in the world and I'm in it <laughs> it sounds like uh at first it was a way to get you to like neutral it gave you something to hold on to that it kind of took you away from the difficult things in your life over time as the enjoyment kind of like the seeds were planted and the enjoyment and the actual passion, the love for it began to grow. It was then away from that baseline to actually something positive. So like it took you from the darkness into, okay, I can survive it. And then over time, it took you above that into, oh, I actually am starting to love this thing. Mm -hmm. to something yeah. you actually wanted. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more I could go into this, but I think we should leave it for another episode. Yeah, I think you touched on some really powerful stuff. And I would venture to guess some people at least will say, oh, that's my experience. That happened for me too. Like I think of what Nureyev went through and the way he talks about how important school was for him and how he was always way behind. But it was the only thing he could control in his life was how much he worked in the studio. Right? Mm -hmm. And all the pain he had at home, the best he could do was do well in school and hope that he could help, you know, and, and, and change the quality of his family's life. Thank oh. you. That was, that was really great. Thank you for, for sharing that. It did get a lot better quickly um, because, because my mom stopped telling me, um, some of the things that were happening at home while I had improved my technique to a level where I didn't feel like I was like the worst in the class by a bong shot where I felt like I was kind of average middle and I had a solid group of friends by around that point maybe this was two years in maybe three years in and so I, I went way above my neutral from that point and ballet started getting quite enjoyable right even, even though I was still <laughs> thinking about quitting, um, probably because I, I always had the, the idea of my dad not respecting the art form. 
like at all at any even when he would come to see the shows he would be like that's that's good but you know I, I could tell that he didn't really he didn't care um which wasn't fun but yeah that's really that's, that's really another episode i feel like we're, we're so low right now and i don't want to finish on a low note <laughs> we need to we need a way around if it'd be nice if we could just uh play some cat cat videos of them falling downstairs and then you know or slipping through ice or something <laughs> you want to watch a cat video my I mom just texted me yeah uh she said she's almost finished listening to all of our episodes and she's loving it. Really? Yeah. Oh. So there you go. Nice. Both of our moms are now listeners of the show. <laughs> yes. Um, Every week we get two, two downloads. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for anybody listening, if you do feel down, um, both of us have gone on to have and continue to have great careers and, you know, struggle is a part of any journey right and so let's not put this in the wrong context uh there's a light at the end of the tunnel and, and we're going to talk about that more and more maybe adam and i will go and watch some cat videos on youtube and uh maybe that can be a prescription for anybody else who feels like <laughs> they need to pick me up but thank you adam that was that was really great um mm -hmm. really appreciate your honesty there do you want to bring us home wrap up the episode as you do so well uh, um yeah sure uh, so thank you so much everyone for listening and we'd really appreciate it if you would leave us a review on apple podcasts and if you have any questions or anything you would like to hear for the next few episodes uh let us know through instagram facebook or email us at tutu guys pod at gmail.com thank you do all of the stuff he said thanks and we'll see you next week do you have a sense of belonging anywhere? Dance. Just dance. Dance.